really with Lyme disease, there are two camps, and one camp believes one thing while another camp believes another. And whenever you have polarizing ideas about any topic, you're going to have a lot of conflict about that, a lot of tension between those. And of course, whenever you have a, a traditional approach versus a alternative approach, one side is going to think the other side is crazy and vice versa. Because of that, there's going to be that conflict. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and Dr. Wiggy is back. This is part two of our conversation and today we're talking all things Lyme disease. Hey Dr. Wiggy. Hello, I'm back. I know, this time in <laughs> much more quickly than, than the last, so I, I prefer this. There we go, that's right. This works out well. Okay, so we set this up in our last chat together, Dr. Wiggy, and we had a great conversation about PCOS. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. A lot of feedback about that, and I think it was super helpful for a bunch of people who were struggling with some issues that have gone undiagnosed. I think yeah. I think you gave them a little bit of direction there. Good. Well, and that's that's kind of my goal with with doing doing these things, is just to bring some education out there, hopefully help some people out with some things that they're dealing with, and uh, potentially give them some good guidance. Well, I think today is going to continue in that thread, just like episode 95, because I don't know much about this, but but Dr. Wiggy, I keep hearing about it. Yeah, so, and you're probably going to keep hearing more and more about Lyme disease. Okay, I can't wait to delve into that and figure out why. And so, first of all, why is Lyme and the world of chronic Lyme, why is it so fraught with like taboo and politics and controversy? Like, what gives here? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good question. And that's somewhat of a difficult question to start off with. But really with Lyme disease, there really, there are two camps. And one camp believes one thing while another camp believes another. And whenever you have polarizing ideas about any topic, you're going to have a lot of conflict about that, a lot of tension between those. And what these camps really kind of boil down to is that there really is somewhat of a uh, traditional mindset. And, and, you know, you kind of, we use this, that term a lot, but it's somewhat of a, I don't know, somewhat of a classic approach to Lyme disease. And then there is this newer approach, which is really starting to, to pick up a lot of steam. And this is more of the uh, integrative, uh, more of the holistic approach to Lyme disease. And of course, whenever, again, whenever you have a, a traditional approach versus a alternative approach, one side is going to think the other side is crazy and vice versa. So, but that's really the, the gist of it is that there's just different perspectives. And, it, and I do believe that there is, because of that, there's going to be that conflict. Okay. All right. So that helps a lot because you sort of framed up where we'll go today then. So let's start with the very, very basics before we sure. deep dive into this. What is Lyme disease? Yeah, so so traditionally, and I'll try to keep this again as simple as possible because, I mean, really Lyme disease is actually one of the most complicated things uh, that I treat. But Lyme disease in the uh, simplistic terms, Lyme disease is an infection uh, that someone can get that is usually transmitted from a tick. Okay, and is it like a specific kind of tick or any tick? So it's usually the um, – like it can be from, from any tick and actually can be from uh, – other uh, insects as well, um, but typically it's used from the uh, the deer tick. Uh, but like I said it can be from other insects. There's even debate about uh, other things carrying it, such as uh, fleas. 
Um, and even there's some some uh, talk about mosquitoes carrying this as well. You may know or may not know that you've been bitten by a tick. What happens to you sort of first phase? What's that yeah. look like? So again, this is kind of, you know, going back to the, the classic uh, mindset with, with Lyme disease is what typically happens if you get bit by a tick and you are infected with Lyme disease you do tend to have symptoms right away. Uh, the, the most common thing that people uh, see again with, with acute Lyme disease is they do tend to see a what's called a bullseye rash. So a rash that basically looks like a bullseye. So you have kind of a, a bright red spot in the middle and then a, a area of clearing and then another, another ring of red around it. It's just one of the more common things that people see. So that's the skin, uh, skin condition. But then when it ha what happens when you get infected by it, then it starts causing more systemic symptoms. And one of the best ways to think about Lyme disease from an acute standpoint is it's described as kind of the, a summer flu. So you mm. feel like you have the flu, you have fevers, body aches, uh, you can be uh, nauseous, uh, you just feel run down. But again, there's, it's not flu season and this typically happens more uh, in the summer. Um, and so it, but it really kind of presents similar to that. You just feel, feel terrible. So usually get bit by a tick. And then I think within 48 hours, you usually have, usually have the rash and then you usually have these kind of flu like symptoms. So yeah, you, you generally know pretty quick if you're getting sick or not. Now, again, that is talking about the acute form of Lyme disease, which I actually don't think we should spend a lot of time on because that is fairly straightforward. Okay. So if, if someone comes into the emergency room, they know they've been bit by a tick they have a bullseye rash and they have flu-like symptoms. That's Lyme disease until proven otherwise. And, you know, they'll do testing. And sometimes the testing is, is, uh, is inconclusive or negative. And you're still going to treat that person because you do not want to, to miss Lyme disease. So the traditional approach, again, for an acute case is just to come in, put them on probably like, you know, anywhere from 14 days to 21 days of uh, doxycycline and antibiotic. And the traditional viewpoint is that once you do that, then the Lyme disease is eradicated and there's nothing else you need to worry about. Okay. What happens if it's left untreated? Well, and that's, I guess that kind of segues into the chronic disease. So now, and, that, and that's where things get, again, controversial is because traditional, you know, infectious disease doctors really believe that if you treat uh, someone with Lyme disease with an antibiotic for, you know, 14 days even, that that's almost a 100% cure rate and there's no real chance of them developing some degree of chronic uh, Lyme disease. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily uh, true. I do believe that, yeah, if you treat it, you have a much better chance of reducing your risk for developing chronic Lyme disease. But I think there's certain people that even after treatment, then they do go on to develop symptoms. And I think it is related to a chronic infection uh, that is still smoldering. Ah, and hence the controversy. Yes. So okay. that's yeah. So that's that's the that's the issue. Is that, again, the thought process is that if you treat it, and that's kind of the one thing that's I think somewhat um, misconstrued in the kind of traditional medicine is that if you treat something, it's gone, you know, and then and then you're good. But I don't think that it's as simple as that, and especially with something as as sneaky and as complicated as Lyme disease. I think that there's there's there is a chance for developing into a chronic disease state. Okay, okay. So acute Lyme disease is I got bitten by a tick, I feel terrible, give me some pharmaceuticals and hopefully yes. I am better. Okay. Chronic yes. is it's either untreated or not fully treated or yes. the the symptoms resurface and that is what traditional medicine we're going to generalize and all generalizations sure. are false, sure. but let's use let you know humor me. Um right. 
but so traditional medicine says no that's not a thing we threw drugs at it it's fine you're yes okay yes that's Aha. that's that that is that is the that's the the uh hot topic right right there and and again and, and each side again has their own kind of reasons for believing uh believing what they do i tend to believe that the the side that believes that chronic lyme disease exists and that it is a serious problem for a lot of people. I tend to think that the research actually supports them more than the people that believe that chronic Lyme disease does not exist. And that is just, you know, really what what it, what they end up terming it for people that have had Lyme disease and they still have all these symptoms. They end up calling it post-infectious Lyme syndrome, uh, where it basically means that they feel terrible, but it's not it's not Lyme disease. One of the questions that I have is. Is the internet the reason we are hearing so much more about this? Or is there something that we're doing that is creating a propensity mm-hmm. for Lyme disease in the population? Like what is going on? Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's probably multifactorial for that, for why we're, why we're hearing about it a lot more. Yeah. One thing is, I mean, of course, yeah, the internet does play a role in that. You know, and I think that in, in some ways that's actually a really good thing because we are getting more exposure to this, to this disease. And some of that has to do with, you know, certain celebrities um, that have been diagnosed with it and that are fighting it. And again, I think that's actually a public service to be able to, to do that and open people's eyes to, to this problem. So that is part of it. Again, just getting, just hearing the term makes you at least kind of just become aware of it. Um, But the other thing is the reason why I think it's becoming more publicly aware Mm -hmm. is that I believe, I really do believe that it's a serious problem. So if you just look at the, you know, the CDC estimates for how many there new cases of Lyme disease there, there are a year, the CDC estimates that there are about 300,000 to 500,000 new cases of Lyme disease every year. And I can guarantee you not all those people are being treated. Wow. And also can, can guarantee you not all those are people are being treated adequately. So that's, that's, and that's again, for some people, that's a lowball number. Other wow. people are saying it's a lot higher than that. So if you just look at those numbers, that's in the United States. You know, three hundred to five hundred thousand. Those are some. Those are some big numbers. Again, that's almost. That's really like epidemic. Yeah. What uh, are proportions? That it is. What are they attributing that to? Do you know? Well, I, again, I think part of it is. I think part of it is this has been a problem for some time. I don't think this is necessarily just blowing up all of a sudden, okay. and that you know we are just you know causing this huge. Uh, firestorm of Lyme disease. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think this has been going on for some time. But I do believe that there probably are some factors that are making this worse. You know, one of the things that people talk about uh, when it comes to environmental concerns is that um, Lyme disease actually seems to be heavily, most heavily populated in the areas that are encroaching upon woods. So with, you know, with our developments that are, you know, popping up kind of all across the, the country that are really starting to encroach into the, the woodland areas, that's where Lyme disease tends to be the, the most heavily populated. And some think that's because, you know, we're pushing into mm. nature some and it's kind of pushing us back to some degree. Um, but I think it just has to do with exposure. So if we're starting to encroach into the, you know, into the forest and into the woods, the, you know, the hosts for these, for these ticks, you know, typically are deer, you know, and other, and other uh, larger animals. But if we're going to be in that same area as the deer are, then a lot of times it makes sense for them to, you know, also be biting us and also be infecting us with Lyme disease. 
Okay, so no doubt there are environmental factors and no mm-hmm. doubt also just our ability to share information is also, it, it's always been there, so to speak, but now we're seeing more about it just because we yes. have the visibility. Yes. What's so interesting to me is that you've identified this tension between, you know, sort of new versus traditional mm-hmm. modes of thinking. And, and it sounds to me, my immediate conclusion here, just off the cuff is that if we could just, if the two paradigms could look for a common ground, then a lot more people would be helped. Like a lot of people oh, aren't sure. being helped just because people aren't respecting that this is a, a thing. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's one of the, I think one of the most disheartening things for me is that we see people that have basically been bounced around the medical establishment for years, sometimes decades with this compilation of symptoms and they've never really been given any answers. And, you know, they've tried probably lots of different medications. And what we end up finding is that they actually do have Lyme disease. And once we start treating them, they start feeling better. But they could have been feeling so much better for, again, 10 years ago if someone would have, you know, just thought about looking for it and even just giving them a round of antibiotics. For some, that's enough to at least get them feeling better. I think it's a lot more complicated than that as well. But again, yeah, you're right. It's just it's unfortunate that a lot of people, they're missed and a lot of people are not treated. And so they really don't have a chance of getting better unless it's identified. Okay, so let's go back if we can and talk about symptoms so that people can sort of understand the phases of this because you might be speaking to somebody today and they might be hearing this for the first time and it might encourage them to go address this in some capacity. So what should people be looking out for? So yeah, so this is where you kind of have to define between the acute Lyme disease versus the chronic because this is not like you, Jane, you you were just bit and you have the flu-like symptoms and you have the big bullseye rash. Then what happens is it progresses. It progresses into this chronic Lyme disease. And what what seems to happen with chronic Lyme disease, it it really kind of takes over uh, different parts of the body. And one of the most difficult things about Lyme disease is that it can basically mimic any number of other diseases. So it is called the great mimicker. So I don't want to, I won't get into all the specific symptoms that can cause from Lyme disease. I'll focus on the most uh, common ones that we see. Um, but basically, again, if it's, if it's a, uh, if it's a strange symptom, it possibly can be Lyme disease. But the most common ones that we see, uh, the most common definitely is fatigue. So by far, Everyone that has Lyme disease has fatigue. That's almost... Like debilitating fatigue, right? No, not necessarily. That's what's also kind of interesting with this is that I think that there are people that have better baseline genetics and better baseline physiology that they they can actually fight it off on their own to some degree so that they're not bedridden and they can function, but they are just more tired than they think they should oh. be or more tired than they, than they were. But yes, so fatigue is a is a spectrum. So for some people, yes, they are bedridden. They cannot get out of bed. They they basically are in their house 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they just are non-functioning and rely on other people to help them. Ugh, that and is, they don't know why. Right, and they don't have any answers, but okay. they obviously know that something's wrong. Otherwise, right. they wouldn't be in, be in bed all the time. So yes, you can be in extreme, extreme fatigue for okay. sure. We can definitely see that. But there are other people, again, and this is interesting, is that they're just tired. You know, they say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not as energetic as I used to be. I just feel like I can't do the things that, that I was able to do before. When I work out, I feel tired. You know, when I wake up, I'm, I'm tired. I can get through the day. I'm still productive. I still work, but I just still feel like there's something's wrong. 
And, and that can be, again, the element of fatigue that we see with Lyme disease. Okay. So, so fatigue is probably number one. Um, number two, I would say some degree of a pain syndrome, kind of like acute, you know, you tend to have, you know, muscle aches and joint pain, uh, when you get the acute form, but chronic, chronic, uh, Lyme disease tends to cause some degree of a pain issue. So it can be, you know, joint pain, it can be headaches, it can be abdominal pain, um, but I'd probably say the most common is joint pain, muscle pain. And this is also one of those things that I think can confuse doctors when they're, when they're trying to identify this is if someone comes in and says, you know, I'm tired all the time um, and I have a lot of pain, then a lot of times they tend to get labeled fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. which is that we, which is basically we don't know what's wrong with you, but you're in pain and you're probably tired. Um, so, but again, because pain syndrome is a really common thing that we see with Lyme disease as well. So there's definitely fatigue. Um, again, and this is, but what's, what's so hard is that it doesn't have to be all these things. So we see pain, uh, fatigue. And then the other thing we see is tends to cause some sort of cognitive changes. For some people, we tend to see like brain fog, uh, memory issues. They're not able to remember things as well as they used to. Um, we also tend to see sometimes neurologic symptoms with this. So this can be like uh, muscle weakness, uh, muscle n- or numbness. They can have some sort of kind of uh, radicular type of uh, pain or, or uh, again, or numbness. And then there's also, again, just when we're looking at the brain and the nervous system, there's also that degree, potential uh, potential degree of a psychiatric component to it because, again, the brain is responsible for all these different factors. So sometimes people come in with anxiety or depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, and we do think that sometimes that is related to a chronic infection in the brain, the brain and the nervous system. So that, that tends to be affected. So yeah, for some people that can be uh, vision changes, uh, for other people that can be dizziness. So really any sort of neurologic or okay. psychiatric yeah. symptom can be related to it. Gosh, this just sounds awful. So It's ha- terrible, yeah. And so many people would be suffering from any number one of these things and, and, it, and be utterly confused and lost. That just, ugh, that just yes. kills Yes, I me. mean, and typically the more, the more symptoms that you have, the more likely... But like I said, again, it is, it is somewhat difficult because I do believe that everyone has a unique physiology and everyone has unique genetics. So I think that, again, Lyme disease affects everyone somewhat differently. Okay, well, this begs the question, if you're suffering from, from something for years and it's gone undiagnosed, and because I get so many emails from listeners who have family members, typically, it's, it mm-hmm. seems to be more common, with conditions and they just don't know what it is, but they know something's wrong and at, they get to the point where the practitioners are just telling them that they're either depressed or crazy, right? Yeah, yes. Okay, so how do you know if it is Lyme? Yeah, that's... That's also part of the controversy is the testing for it. Traditional approach to, to diagnosing Lyme disease relies solely on the blood test. So the first test that traditional doctors will use is what's called a Lyme ELISA test, uh, which is looking for, again, an antibody reaction to, to Lyme disease. The problem with this test is that this test really, if you, look at the, if you look at the research, this test appears to be a very poor indicator for chronic Lyme disease. But what happens is if people have this test and it comes back negative, they rule it out. Ah. They say there's no chance you have Lyme disease. That's not what's going on. There must be something else. That's one of the main problems. That it does not, does not appear to be a great, uh, a great test. And, one of the, and I think, again, research does support this. Like There is actually legislation in uh, Virginia that basically said that they had to add this to the, to the lab report 
that if someone gets a negative Lyme test, like either a LISA test or a Western blot, that there has to be a little little subnote underneath it that says this does not rule out Lyme disease. And so oh. that's actually been a nice thing that they really have been able to push for because that's what that's what again doctors will see that test come back negative and they say okay it's not Lyme disease you know let's move on that's it is a disservice if you get the test back it does yeah. not necessarily make it make it negative so that's the first test that people do that test comes back positive then a lot of times it reflexes what's called a reflex so they go ahead and do a, the next test which is called a Western blot the Western blot is a better test but also not a perfect test. And with the Western blot, what it does, it looks for different bands or different parts of the, the Lyme uh, bacteria, and it sees if you have um, antibody response to those specific bands. And you have to have a certain number of bands show up positive in order for you to actually be technically diagnosed with uh, Lyme disease. So then what? You're saying these two are the most commonly used, but then what? Yeah. Well, and let me, let me touch briefly on the false positives, because I also um, I think is, is sometimes... Uh, overemphasized, I think, for some people, because okay. we've had people that have had actually positive tests, but then they're said they're they're told that it's just a false positive and that that's not actually Lyme disease, which again, in some ways, kind of baffles me because they if they have all the symptoms and they have a tick bite and they have you know this pain and fatigue and the psychiatric issues and they show up positive, you know, to me that's that's a that's positive. You got to treat this person. But I think what again what we see with in the other world is that the the false positives are definitely overemphasized to some degree, and I think the false negatives are underappreciated. Okay, that makes sense and is additionally alarming, Doctor Wiggy. Um, <laughs> yes, it so is. so then what? All right, so yeah, so so if you do the test, and like I said again, and this te- these tests are not bad. So I actually do. I start with the what's called the Lyme Western blot. Okay. I, I skip over the Liza test. I really feel like that test is somewhat useless. So I go straight to the Western blot. And the Western blot, I think, is a pretty decent test. And I've, t- I've identified, you know, just myself in the last year, I've probably identified, I don't know, 10 to 20 people with a positive Western blot that have, again, have been having, that have been oh symptomatic gosh. for for years and, like I said, sometimes decades. So I do start with that. And again, and, and yes, there is, there's a, Sometimes there's false positives, but I think a lot of times that it actually identifies what the problem is and we have to start start treating them. So I do start with the Western blot. If that test comes back negative, again, especially if their symptoms seem consistent with it. Another thing that we do at the practice is what's called a Horowitz questionnaire. Um, there's a famous doctor up in Connecticut, I believe. His name is um, Horowitz. I think it's Richard Horowitz. Okay. I can't remember, I'll but he's one it. of yeah. He's one of the uh, he's one of the Lyme chronic Lyme disease gurus, basically, and he's written a lot of good books out there. And so he uh, he uh, has come up with his own questionnaire for what he thinks are the most common symptoms that we see with Lyme disease, and it also gives you a score. And the higher your score, the more likely it is for for that uh, for Lyme disease to be going on. Um, so if we have a high suspicion based on our based on our symptoms and based on the questionnaire that that we see, and even if the Western blot is negative, then a lot of times we do we do some additional testing to try and nail it down as best we can. Now there are some doctors out there that are that are Lyme literate doctors, um, and they will treat people just on symptoms. So if people come in and their symptom, you know, their questionnaire is is off the charts and they have a history of a tick bite, they will just say, okay, yeah, you have Lyme disease. I'm going to go and start treating you. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with that. I do try to nail down the diagnosis the best that I can. So I tend to use some additional tests that are um, that are kind of outside of the traditional testing that I think can really help identify if this is Lyme disease or not. 
Okay, and I found that questionnaire, and I will absolutely link to that in the show notes so that people yeah, can easily print that out and take it. Okay, yeah, I like great. that. I like that. So a couple of the tests that, that I that I like to do um, in, in our practice, I do like to do what's called an, an NKCD57 test. Uh, NKCD57 is a how do you specific- remember? <laughs> remember all of these things that is amazing it's just it's uh the more you do it and the more you see it the more it sticks okay say it Um, again (laughs) so nk natural killer so nkcd57 and that is a specific white blood cell type that seems to be suppressed by chronic lyme disease again it's not specific so it's not like if you have chronic lyme disease this level will be low and you can diagnose it based on that because there are other things that can also suppress the NKCD57 test. But again, if it's low and the symptoms are high, then that again gives us more clinical suspicion that this is something like Lyme disease going on. So the scale for an NKCD57 is anywhere from like 60 to 360. And we like we, we consider a healthy range to be about in the middle of that, around 150 to 200. That's considered to be a healthy CD57 count. But we see people routinely that come in in the single digits, you know, come in oh with a five. Gosh or an eight, or a nine. And again, that, regardless if you believe in the test or not, there's something wrong. There's something going on that's causing that CD57 to be suppressed. And you can just write it off and say that that's nothing going on, or you have to really do your investigation and say, okay, well, what is causing this to be low? And that's that's where we have to kind of get where we have right. to kind of keep keep digging. So, if we if we have a low uh, CD57, we have again a lot of symptoms. Then there are some additional testing that we do. And and one of the tests that I'm really starting to lean more heavily on is what's called a DNA connections test. And this is considered kind of an experimental test, but I do like it. DNA and connections. Think, yeah, DNA connections with an X. Okay. Um, and the reason why I like it is that all these other tests that we've been talking about so far, the the ELISA test and the Western blot. And even some of the other uh, experimental tests, they really rely on the immune system. And for people with chronic Lyme disease, they tend to have a suppressed immune system to begin with, so they can't really mount a good response. So a lot, that's why a lot of times the testing can come back negative. You know, a good example of that is that I've actually, you know, treated people um, just based on symptoms and based on the CD57, just with some natural things. They say, well, like, I'm not sure if this is, you know, going on, but I think it's worth a try. Why don't we try some of these natural herbs? to see if, if this can kind of help uh, stir things up. And what's, what's interesting is I treated them for a while, and then I recheck the standard test, just the Western blot, and then it actually flips positive because they've actually stirred it up enough and we've supported their immune system enough to actually mount a response. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it's, it's really fascinating when that happens. Okay. So, so again, I'm, I'm starting off a little bit of a tangent here, but, um, but that just shows you again that these tests are not that great because again, if it can flip from negative to positive, then a lot of times again, that just tells us that it, it, sometimes it is from a suppressed immune system. So it's actually a urine test that we do. Um, and not, it looks not only for Lyme disease, but it also looks for um, like 10 other uh, tick-borne illnesses. So it also looks for Bartonella and Babesia and Anaplasma and Ehrlichiosis. So it looks for what are considered the co-infections that we see with Lyme disease. And like I said, again, the good thing is is that there's not really false positives with it because, again, if you pee out the DNA of Lyme disease, what else could that be? Like I said, if it's identifying the DNA of these things. So uh, in my opinion, I think it's a good test. Again, there are I I do believe there are some false negatives with it because if you don't pee it out at the time, then it won't show up in the test. 
but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good test. It identifies a lot of cases, and it does help us nail down what exactly is going on. As usual, what I think this is really useful for is equipping people who to, to of course, ask questions, to, of course, yeah. start asking for resources. But also, if you do, in fact, find that this is – if this is on your radar, then hopefully some of the things that Dr. Wiggy is sharing with you right now will help you um, facilitate conversations between you and your practitioner. Yeah, for sure. And that and that's really, you know, one of the key things for anybody is just to be be educated right. and kind of know what sort of questions to ask. But like I said, unfortunately what I see and and this is not again a a jab, but it's you do what you you do what you know, you know, as doctors. We yeah. do we do what we know and we treat, you know, what we feel comfortable with basically. So if, if someone doesn't have experience looking at the literature of, you know, acute versus chronic Lyme disease, being aware of the different tests that are available, you know, being aware of the complexities of Lyme disease, you're not going to get a lot of success going with someone that, that does that. That's just, again, that's just kind of human nature. So you really do need to be, again, if this is on your radar, if this is something that you're concerned about, I would probably try and seek out someone that at least understands it to some degree. And again, in my opinion, someone that, that is outside of that, that traditional mode mold and they're a little bit more in the kind of uh, integrative alternative mold. I, I do believe that that, that kind of uh, camp there has a little better understanding of again, again, how tricky and how complicated Lyme disease can be. Okay. Well, I have the same question that I always have, Dr. Wiggy, for you to wrap this up. If this is where we are and this is something we have learned is is likely or something that we are dealing with, what protocols are available to us? Mm-hmm. So, wow, that, you know, that really could be an entire um, <laughs> episode in itself. Yeah. Um, I'll try and summarize it the best that I can. Um because there's also controversy about the way that you go about treating it. Oh, and there's no not doubt. really a cookbook for the way you, you treat Lyme disease. It really is because it's so individualized, because it so affects everyone so individually, you also have to treat everyone so individually. But what I use, again, this is just my, my approach and what we use in the practice. We use a combination of kind of the, of all the different treatment modalities that we can get our hands on because we feel like it is so complicated and we need to have all these different tools in our, in our, to, in our toolbox. Okay. So we use, we use homeopathic treatment. We use herbal treatment based on uh, Dr. Stephen Booner. We think he's probably the best when it comes to herbal treatment for uh, Lyme disease. We use antibiotics if we need to. We, use, um, we even go all the way to using IV therapies uh, if we have to. There are things like IV ozone or IV vitamin C that are sometimes necessary for those that are that are really sick. So generally what I do is I, I kind of use a combination uh, of those things that we talked about, starting with the gentlest, most natural uh, option first and kind of working our way up towards the more aggressive options as we go along and if people are not making progress. Okay, and I know that's a huge topic. And here's one thing that I want to do for everybody. There are so many newer resources out there that talk about different treatment plans, case studies with people who have this. I'm just going to make this post that goes along with the show, Dr. Wiggy, super, super resource intensive in terms of links to case studies and to some protocols that are working. And Tim Ferriss is somebody that I read a lot of, and he has has Lyme, and he has been dealing with it. He has a lot 
lot to say about fasting and about a ketogenic mm-hmm. diet in dealing with Lyme. And so this blog post for episode 96, I will simply put in just a treasure trove of resources that I've uncovered and some things that Dr. Wiggy has shared with me. Yeah. So they can deep dive into that. Yeah. And then that's the thing, because, you know, really, if this is something that you are struggling with, again, and <clears throat> there's I'm sure there's plenty of people that are listening that that have it. Part of this and part of any sort of healing journey that I see for people is that they need to take control of their health themselves. Of course, I can help, but they need to kind of be in charge. Otherwise, again, we really don't make a lot of progress. Well, and that comes back to we just came full circle because that's exactly the conversation that we started together with regard to PCOS and Lyme. And Dr. Wiggy, I just thank you so much for educating us on both of these topics. It's been really, really insightful. You're welcome. It was great. All right. Well, back again soon. And who knows what we'll talk about next. Send us your questions and I'll get Dr. Wiggy back on the air because he is full of knowledge. Dr. Wiggy, (laughs) thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.